0: Nice Games Club is on break for the next few weeks. How come? We're putting together a relaunch of the show, including a brand new website that should make it easier for everyone to browse and discover all the content from the entire history of the program.
1: In the meantime, your nice hosts have picked out a few favorite episodes in the last year or so for listeners to revisit or maybe hear for the first time.
2: This is episode 120, Steal This Episode, Writing and Games, Intellectual Property, and the Public Domain. This episode was first published on February 6th, 2019. I picked this episode because we had just gone back from PodCon and we were pretty energetic. Plus, it has uh, a lot of informative content for you. It's worth your time.
0: Be nice and have a listen. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> ah, um, so we're back from PodCon, too. Yeah.
0: Yes, 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 yes.
2: In Seattle. Still tired, it seems. Yeah, it happened.
0: Well, we had the, the PodCon... Where we were traveling, and then Global Game Jam, where yeah, to work happened. all weekend. So there was this is the first weekend, but now we're now we're doing, uh, Nice Games Club and Widget Satchel in one weekend too. So yep. nonstop.
1: A lot of things, a lot of stuff. Yeah, um, and we actually pushed back the recording of this. This is all inside baseball, but like <laughs> this episode's coming out real real soon yes. from our calendar. Yes. So we we could, we, we should be really timely. Oh, yeah. It's like a rare opportunity Uh, to talk about things happening right now. Yes.
2: So, what things happened this week? Man, I I feel like nothing happened. (laughs) Um, Record breaking cold. We almost froze to death, every one of us. Right. But, I mean, other than that, we're fine. (laughs) Uh, My
1: my car stopped working. My bike got a flat tire. My coat broke. Oh, my God. So, it was a
2: disaster for transportation for Uh, me this week. Dang, that sucks. Yeah.
0: I got to work from home all week, and so I didn't have to go outside. <laughs> <laughs> Some people get
2: off. of almost got to wait for the train. It was not warm. I'm
0: yeah. sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Well, our furnace almost went out. So. Ah,
2: oh jeez. Mm-hmm.
1: And here at Glitch, um we, we when Speaking we baking rec- a furnace going on <laughs> Well, when we record, we have to turn the air conditioner or the heater off mm-hmm. because it, it it makes noise and we don't want any extra noise. Right. And it's it's a little tough right now.
2: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah, it's too. I got my jacket on, so that's gonna have to help. Uh huh. But it's yeah, it's real cold.
0: Well, anyway, PodCon two. <laughs> yes,
2: PodCon two <laughs> happened.
0: It was awesome. Mm-hmm, it was a fun time. Uh, Seattle is very cool. I can see why it's so expensive to live there because it is super nice, like way nicer than San Francisco.
1: Yeah, I think. Yeah, and it uh, it rained when we were there. Yeah, so it was the the.
0: Very essential. on brand. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> it was really
2: fun. Yeah, we went to see uh, the Space Needle, and we also went to see what was it—the Living Computer Museum. Oh my gosh! It all- yeah, it was real fun. Yeah. It's
0: so cool. They um, had all these old mainframes and old computers, and they were excited that we were there because they're like, "Oh my gosh, you're from Minnesota. Half our mainframes are from there."
2: Right. Yeah, they did totally talk about that. That was really cool. Um, let's uh, post the link about it because if you're ever in Seattle, you should check it out. Yeah, uh, we uh,
1: we posted a couple of tweets when we were there too. So you can see what nonsense we were up to yeah um
0: it was a real real good time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i got to make a punch card um and at podcon i got to meet justin McElroy, and it was really great and i didn't (laughs) embarrass myself at all
2: it's true she didn't she was very proud of that fact.
0: (laughs) (laughs) i'm just a normal fan who will never be remembered (laughs) which is exactly what you should be (laughs) well
1: it's great because when we were um at the end of podcon we walked back to our hotel and we just like walked within millimeters of all three of those boys. Yeah. Just in the lobby. Right. And, like, and a lot of other people did too. They were just standing around. And like outside the context, nobody was like daring enough to be like,
0: oh, hi. Like yeah. everyone was just
1: like, mm, these are normal people. We, we
0: totally saw them at the airport too, right? They were on our flight home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was something else. Uh, I mean, they
1: were in first class, but. Oh, yeah. yeah right, right.
0: Right. It was a McElroy filled weekend which is all i wanted so but we did learn some stuff about how to improve our podcasts and um maybe we'll we've what else well, what, what what are some of the things we saw some panels and stuff um,
2: um i mean i went to a lot of ones about like how to improve your podcast and such mm-hmm. um, and like how to well <laughs> um i will talk about that in our nice games club meetings yeah. Um, no, but like, I mean, like, if, if you're ever interested in making a podcast, um, I think that PonCon is pretty valuable for that because, like, there's a whole lot of people there who are not just enthusiastic about listening to them, but creating their own. Um, and yeah. I felt like a lot of the people who were up, they did live podcasts, and a lot of them felt like open and honest. And then they had the <laughs> question segments at the end, and it was like lengthy ones. They were like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. So, like, it was a good time, a good opportunity to ask people uh, how they did things. Or like what went well, what didn't go well. So like it's, a, I think it was very valuable. Yeah, so. there
1: were two kinds of uh like th- th- actually the workshop uh, st- stuff was yeah. pretty thin. I yeah, would say. that's true. Um, that's my sort of my only sort of feedback for them is like I think a lot of the people who were there um either ha- definitely had podcasts or just started them, and they all had like you know very few listeners or like a small audience like us. Yeah, and so uh, but they also big overlap also consisted of huge fans of po- of the podcasts. The live shows there. So I'm pretty sure everybody had a great time and got a lot what they wanted. But I think that they, so they probably won't hear this a lot, but I I think they should have more workshop content. I think a lot of the existing audience would benefit from that. Mm-hmm. They had one track. So there was always one going on, but only ever one. Yeah, And that was kind of just a hair disappointing, but there was a lot of really good stuff. The stuff they had was great. And there were two kinds of things that I saw. One were like, Uh, you know, technical stuff like what you know, how to how to manage your mics and what equipment to use and what not to spend money on. Yeah, little you know, tips and tricks, and then also things like promotion, like how do you get an audience? How do you like uh, how do you structure your show uh, in in a way that becomes sellable? Or how do you get sponsors and things like that? Yeah, and those were sort of interesting, and I feel like our show we've we got a lot of technical stuff down. We've been doing this long enough, Mm -hmm. and what was kind of nice is at those talks. Like I didn't really learn a lot, but it was actually really nice to sort of hear things that we figured out on our own, yeah. being parroted back to us by people who had made it. They're like, "Oh, great! It's not going to, you know, make us huge that we figured that out, but like, we don't need to worry about that." Mm-hmm. And that was kind of nice. One of the only McElroy things I went to was, um, uh, one of them did a thing called "Watch Me Cut," where mm-hmm. he edited a, a piece or just showed the the what he did, kind of almost as like a, a le- he kind of described it as like a. Um, sort of like a, well, if I can do it, you can do it kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. And um, yeah, Stephen, you were there with me. Yes. And basically like they're using some janky stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I'm uh, just thinking like, oh, wow, they kind of don't know what they're doing. <laughs> and yeah. so it made me kind of like, oh, that's that's great. But also that's terrible. Like, <laughs> It kind of was both,
2: But I, I don't know, it was very mixed feelings about that. Well, it was like redeeming, at least for me. I yeah. was like, oh, we're just doing everything right. We're, right. There's, it technically, we're we're fine, <laughs> right? It was it put a lot of things in context. That I thought yeah. was pretty good. Yeah, um, yeah, that was very good. Like I like that aspect of it. Like it, um, the, the whole conference, like it just put things in, yeah. into perspective. Which was and
1: it was cool. a really well like run show. Mm-hmm. Like as a as a bit of entertainment, like they you did know, opening and closing shows. Yeah, it was actually just a really fun, like well put together with the resources they had, yeah. kind of thing. It was pretty easy to get around it was wet. there was signs posted well like for a small conference they like they ran it really well mm-hmm. so good for
2: them you know well done podcast
1: mhm
2: awesome uh and then we also did the global game jam All right that was last week yes it was that was uh i was kind of stressed out about it before i started the actual jam i was like oh man this is going to be a whole weekend oh i got to make <laughs> this game uh, what oh, what am I going to do? I just moved into this new place. Oh, I got to move all this crap and I haven't done all that yet. Oh, I was really stressed out about it. But like, and then I did it and it was just fine,
1: mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> which is great. Well, you're both going to have to tell me about it because I got there and I, I was really sick mm. and then I left after an hour so I, and I didn't go back. So I'm basically missed out on the whole thing. So you guys have to tell me, tell yeah. me about your games, tell me about the process, tell me about the venue, tell me about everything.
2: Sure. Um, so I made a game that was like I w- I really wanted to make a 3D game. So I worked with Rachel Peterson. Uh, we've we've had her on the show. Before. It's not short. It's not short. <laughs> yes. um, um, she made assets for me in last year's game. That's right. Game. Yes. Um, and so we worked together to make. She made uh, 3D models for this game as well. Um, and we made like a 3D exploration game. Um, actually, before we the Global Game Jam theme this year was what home is to you
0: or something like that. What home means to you.
2: Yeah. Uh, and so our game is called "Home is What You Make of It," which is literally you go out into space and you gather a bunch of objects and then you bring it back to home and then you put them in the space so you make your own home. Uh, it was really it was cool because like I got to explore um, movement in 3D which I've never done before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned how to like project 3D um, objects on the UI, which was uh, that was a whole struggle for me. My brother helped me a little bit with it because uh, I it was. It had some weird effects things going on with it, which was strange. You mean like a
1: like screen to world space kind of stuff?
2: No, like uh, I used um, what are the render textures mm-hmm. to, to um to and then like I was recording. I had another camera on where the three D models oh, were. Oh yeah, okay. And then I rec- uh, yeah, and then I just portrayed that on the the UI of it. Uh, cool, it's really cool. And it ended up working out really well. Um, but that was a game we made. I was I was it was a team of. Four, I think one of the people uh, we were working with was working remotely, um, did the music. And then another person, Lowell, who um, does, uh, he helps with the voice recordings at, at, the, um, at the Game Jam. Uh, he was also on our team. Mm-hmm. And he helped build, like, he built the world. He put all of the play- things where they needed to, or put all the things in his artistic vision, and it was really nice. Like, a lot of the, uh, the things that he made were really cool with the stuff that Rachel gave. Him. So mm-hmm. it worked out really well for me, I think. And you finished on time. You got to build up. Yeah, we were ahead. We were ahead of schedule. I think we were like ready to go. Maybe I would say we were ready to go two hours and then we were just like adding small bits and pieces there and fixing random things. And then we were ready in about 30 minutes before it ended. Wow. Which was nice. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Martha, how did it go for you?
0: Yeah, it went uh, really well. I also uh, was nervous about it because I was like, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So tired. Yeah. Um, and i was just getting over being sick at podcon mm. so uh that was interesting but um and it was nice because i already had a team we had formed a team um on the slack beforehand yeah. so that that whole stress was out and instead of being at the like pitches and the uh team building thing we went to a like cafe and just talked about what we wanted the game to be yeah. which was really fun um uh and uh, I ended up being a writer on the game, which is why my topic today is writing for games. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Did this segue into the topic?
0: I guess so, because I want to talk about the jam a lot in uh, my, okay. to- um, <laughs> in my b- topic.
2: Before we do that, I, I do want to bring up like uh, the global game jam, like the venue and stuff. It was very different this year because uh, we used to have it on the University of Minnesota's campus, um, but they uh, changed their policies, though. We, so we weren't allowed to have people there over the forty-eight hours during the night, yeah. Um. So we had to try. We, it was a huge scramble to find the right a new venue, and we ended up finding one in St. Paul at the TPT building, and it was way smaller than it um, ever was. Um. But it ended up working out okay, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. We ended up having enough space for people. Um. And
0: people it was nice because it was very defined where you could or could not be. Like yeah. well, that was one of the things that the other building that was difficult is like there's a bunch of rooms that you weren't supposed to go into, That's and true. then you got in trouble for being in them, and or like it just. And also there's a lot of places for people just like squirrel off and I don't know. It was nice being all in one room. It felt like a group. Yeah. Yeah,
2: which was neat. Um, so
1: I guess for listeners who hmm. don't know, uh, Global Game Jam is a global game jam. Yes. But there are local sites in cities all over the world. And so Glitch... Um, organizes the Twin Cities space. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like, not we wouldn't say official Twin Cities space, but it's the one that happens here, right? right? And anyone can can put up a venue and, and list it, but Glitch is the one who who steps up and does it for us in this community. Yeah, and uh, and that's what Stephen was talking about. Yes. The previous place on campus uh, had served us well, but had some quirks. Um, and then, yeah, so the 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 TPT, the local PBS affiliate, they've been partnering with Glitch on a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. They hosted GlitchCon this year, right. most recent year. And, uh, and yeah, they have this lovely lobby with this presentation space yeah. um, that yeah, isn't quite as big as the atrium in, in the, the previous building, but, um, but is really nice. Mm-hmm. It's a great place. And yeah. they're, they're a good partner. And so they, they sort of like, um, yeah, last minute they worked it out to, to, yeah. to allow a bunch of random people to be there for 48 hours, right. which is really, really good. It's, a, it's like a, amazing. It's a big ask. Mm-hmm. And they stepped up and said yes. Yeah. So it was very cool of Yes, it.
2: thank you so much for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and uh, I, I think that it went well. I mean, I haven't heard any feedback contrary. Uh, it seemed like like people were satisfied with it. I think that because of all of the last minute thing, I think our specific venue, the turnout was less than there was in the past. I'm not positive on that, though.
1: Well, there was a shorter time for people to sign up. Right, So I think exactly. They probably, it, and it probably ended up working out with the smaller size of the place a little bit. Yeah. But there were still a ton of people there. Oh, yeah, no, it was
2: packed. Uh, especially the first night i think people started working home uh, remotely after the first night but like mm-hmm. the first night it was yeah it was backed. uh and um yeah I, th- I think we also had some like remote developers too who were i think maybe even some teams who worked remotely um which ended up working out okay yeah well the rachel
1: who you mentioned right. um or helped organize with some other people on on the discord yes um uh people working remotely who had just planned to work remotely. And so there was, I, I think, I'm not sure how much it happened, but there was a lot of the, uh, openness to having teams that were split between people working at the site and working from home and right. cross-pollinization right. and stuff. There's a lot more
2: uh, avenues of communication. Yeah, uh, I mean, we even had that, so it, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, I think that was really was a strength of it. Mm-hmm. Um, something that we I felt like we didn't really have last year anyways is like an online presence, uh, which was really neat.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and there were twenty nine games
2: that were posted. Uh, yes, I believe
1: from from that site. I believe so, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty great. So we'll put the link for it so you can play all of those.
2: Yeah, um, and uh, also we will uh, glitch will be having a play party in the near future. I don't know all the details yet, but yeah. uh, we'll. Maybe by the... No, probably not by the time this thing is out. We'll Even this out.
1: episode is the most timely episode we've ever recorded. I know! i
2: Now is the time to tell people
1: how many days from now it is and be basically accurate. <laughs> I just literally don't know. <laughs>
0: ah,
2: well, it'll happen one day.
0: <laughs> Keep an eye out on the Glitch channels. Yes.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, writing games. Yes.
2: Oh, you already did your transition. I maybe, did, not done, it. but it's sorry. okay. It wasn't
0: very good anyway, so. <laughs> um, good. So yeah, at the Global Game Jam, I was a writer for the first time. Um, I've like been trying to write my own game, but I haven't really gotten anything down on paper yet. Mm-hmm. It's mostly been like brainstorming and like no actual dialogue yet. Um, So this is the first time I actually wrote like a complete dialogue thing, and it was really, really fun, but yeah. also really, really hard and like, it was way harder than I thought it was. to be, <laughs> But like at the same time, I also felt bad because I felt like I wasn't doing anything. Like I didn't code anything. And so I was like, I'm being lazy. <laughs> I'm just sitting here trying to think of things. So I look like I'm just sitting here.
1: <laughs> you know, in that one hour I was there, you did tell me I am not going to code this weekend. <laughs> so I don't know how bad you felt about it.
0: Oh, Hey, <laughs> I can I, both, Feelings can exist at okay. the same time. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I wasn't coding, right. but I can also feel guilty that I wasn't coding and I didn't want to be. I felt that. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. I think people think that the coding is the hardest part because mm. it, like you have to not know the most technical training stuff to make all the stuff in Unity work. Because um, it's not the most intuitive thing ever. Yeah. So, So if you're doing something that's in the more creative side of it, it can feel weird. (laughs) But
2: yeah, it's a different, like,
0: um, it's a different type of work. It's like, it's like all uh, it's creativity. So you have to wait for like ideas to come together. Right. Yeah. That's
2: what I was going to say. Yeah. Like it's a, a workflow isn't the right word, but like, yeah. How, how the things get created, there's some period of time when you need to like create the thing. Whereas with coding, you're constantly, there's like a bar constantly moving forward. Um, I guess that you can almost say the same thing about art, but like there's always that sort that first starting process where you have to figure out what the heck you're doing.
1: Yeah, I kind of feel totally the opposite. I feel Ah. like they're exactly the same. Oh, okay. Like uh, when you're trying to come up with a, you're trying to build an architecture for whatever you need to do. Yeah, like that
2: requires a little bit of sit down and and thinking on it. You're totally right. I, I I think I'm approaching it from like in a game jam. I'm like code quick. And right. immediately, I don't even think about it too much. And yeah. then I'm like, oh, why did I do this stupid thing five hours <laughs> into the jam? <gym?" laughs>
1: <laughs> there's but, probably also, to 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 play Davos League, your yeah. position is there's also probably a couple of things that you just, like, you have to do. yeah. And so you could keep yourself busy with some of the, like, just have-to tasks,
2: yeah. I suppose. yeah. Um, but I, you're totally right. You do need to plan out your architecture, especially when you're, like, trying to... Uh, if you're not doing a game jam game and you're trying to yeah. you know, finish this thing, you want to make sure you do something... Do some planning ahead of time so that doesn't come to bite you in the rear end later. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean,
1: I've always felt engineering is a, is a creative act totally is. just as much as yeah. anything else.
0: I suppose. It does feel different. To, mm-hmm. di- the process felt different to me than mm-hmm. at other uh, game jams. Yeah. There are other roles that I've done. Um, because like, well, I suppose it is pretty similar. But I felt like I was using a different part of my brain. Yeah. Because I was trying to come up with like, narrative <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. characters like one of the things um that I found really interesting is because like your character can only say so many things so you have to get their personality a- out through like a very it's like a haiku you have to like par down the words to just the ones you need basically yeah. mm-hmm. but also make them distinct from all the other characters like not because that was a hard time too because so I guess I should explain the game. Yes, that we ended up writing uh, the other. The other interesting. So I'll just I'll just tell about it and then tell how it came about. Okay. <laughs> so the story is that um, you are you play an old lady who is also a witch who shows up at a polar research station and makes everyone happy by granting their wish. By okay. combining items into other items, <laughs> and then giving it to them, okay. <laughs> and then everyone plays D anD D and is happy. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Where
2: does home fit into all of this?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, originally, <laughs> okay. <laughs> originally, our idea, like that's the thing about having a group beforehand, mm-hmm. is that it solved the problem of, um there isn't one designer going around trying to say, oh, here's my idea. I'm going to sell you on my idea. And if you like my idea, you come and join me. And that person kind of takes point on the like idea of the game and the narrative of the game. The and like, dis- director. yeah, design. Yeah. To, yeah makes, uh, has creative control of the band. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when we had a group like already formed with no one person designated as like the creative control person, um, we spent so much time trying to like negotiate on what the game was going to be. And so it went through so many iterations and the end thing is a kind of a amalgamation of everyone's ideas. Mm. So that's why it's kind of lots of things cobbled together and okay. not really on the theme because it's, yeah.
2: I mean, that's fine. <laughs> Global it's not like Global Game Jam's a competition. And also even if it was, you could do whatever you want.
0: <laughs> it's true. Well, the game started out like the first idea was like what you your game ended up oh, being yeah. of like, oh, you live in a bunker and you have to go out and get stuff to make it feel like home and like all these characters are, you know, uh really, really sad and then you get like make like decorate their house to mm. be all beautiful and homely and, you know, like warm and then they are happy. Yeah and that morphed into <laughs> to what it is now. Yeah. <laughs> um so yeah. Cool. So yeah, there's pros and cons to like collaborating that way mm-hmm. because on the one hand like everyone's ideas got in there, but on the other hand like the overall cohesiveness of it was not yeah there. Mm-hmm.
2: But so you filled the role of the writer. And yes. so how how was that process? Like how how did that go?
0: So I worked really closely with Aaron, our artist, mm-hmm. um, well, one of our artists, the character artist, anyway, yeah. to come up with like interesting characters. So we came up with together came up with like um, who each scientist at the station was going to be, um, and like what was their thing. Yeah. So <laughs> the the like thing that they wished for, uh, the witch combined two things that made a pun. Yeah. So, like, the one person wanted a pineapple. So, we made, had combined an apple and a pinecone. And another person wanted <laughs> uh-huh. the book, The Count of Monte Cristo. So, okay. you combined a Monte Cristo sandwich with an abacus. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. And yeah, so, et cetera. <laughs>
2: yeah. Oh, I remember there was one where it, it was like, oh, I don't, it's like the, the gold one.
0: Oh, yes. So there's a pile of 12 carats, and you find another pile of 12 carats, and you uh-huh. put them together, and they form 24-carat gold. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. So, um, basically, we came up with the puns first, mm-hmm. and then made characters up for them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we had, like, a like professor person who liked reading, and a person who, like, really missed their partner, and so like a pineapple reminded them of their honeymoon in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Um, and like one person like missed their grandma and they lost their magic amulet that their grandma gave them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so then we decided, so we decided like, um, because of the constraints of the game jam being so short that we were just going to have one thing that they say, if you hadn't given them the right thing, like, Oh, I'm sad, yeah, <laughs> and then one thing that you that they say when they are given the thing that's right, and then a a opening cutscene and a closing cutscene that's yeah. it, um we had many more like ideas of like having interstitial like things when you walk by them or when you pick something up, other people commenting on the the like that item. yeah uh-huh, or like, uh, why are you giving me this like like if you gave them the wrong thing, but um. We ended up just being like you can't give them a thing if you have the right thing and walk up to them, then they're like, Oh, you gave it to me, yay.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: So uh yeah. Cool. So it was cool like collaborating with Aaron on stuff because um like the way the narrative was going informed how she was drawing the characters yeah. and how the characters were drawn kind of informed how I wrote them. So that was pretty fun.
2: Yeah. That's cool cuz I know that in a lot of uh games, a lot of games like the narrative team will get brought on partway through development instead of at the beginning of the process and it makes it difficult to like patch things together in a way that makes sense mm-hmm. for the game. Uh whereas if they were in the beginning of the process they could have helped with some of the decision making and then like it, the, I mean the game would be different but like maybe better for it cuz yeah. at least then the narrative and the design uh, and the game design would be meshed. Yeah, and you always hear a lot of
1: stories of um like this gameplay element influenced the narrative yeah. and then it all fit together really nicely. But less often do you hear the other way around. Mm-hmm. Where like this narrative like conceit, this this point, this needs to be delivered, how do we do that with gameplay? Right. Because by that point it's that's ends up being too big an ask, you know, to yeah. to, to like to modify. Yeah. And so working within tandem, then they just, you know, they sort of they don't ask too much of the other. Right. Right? They they develop in tandem. Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. So I, I imagine you had that experience then. Yes. Cool.
0: Yeah, it was really cool. And not just with the art people, but yeah, also with the coders. Like, oh, what should we do? This game mechanic? Does that make sense with these characters? And the voice actors, like, how do you want these people to sound? We just we got people to say grunts and stuff. So you walk <laughs> up and they go, oh. <laughs> um, but uh, so that was really interesting, like directing voice actors to sound the way that you want them to. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah it was just really cool to like collaborate with other people.
2: Yeah, that's good. Um mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense. I don't have any experience at all really writing games. All of the writing and Vengeance um and widget Satchel is not mine. <laughs> it's somebody <laughs> else on the team. Um I just read it. <laughs> well, I think
1: you're selling yourself a little short. Uh-huh. I mean, when we 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 have we've had lots of or like last year, it yeah. seems so long ago now. Mm. But we would talk about the story and structure of a widget satchel, yeah. And we brainstormed a lot of that together. That's and a, a lot of the ideas in there are yours.
2: That's true. Yeah, I did have some. I had creative input and such. I didn't do the act of. It, it writing, all sort but, of like
1: blends into the final form. Yeah. So you, maybe you don't remember exactly, but like you know, but you do have a you do have a ha- more of a hand in that than you think.
2: That's true. That's true. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, we involved it in earlier on in the earlier on in the process. So mm-hmm. like that's. I didn't even realize that I had that role, yeah. but I did have some have parts of it. Yeah,
1: and that's that's a lot of times the difference is that you uh, like you um, the actual the writing, the dialogue, the, right. like the the letters on the screen is not really the mo- the major work of of writing a game. Yeah, right.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good point. Um, I think that's important because yeah, that it, it, it is that is influenced a lot by. Uh, the creative decisions that you made mm-hmm. during the process and
1: such like Martha when you're describing this the concept which is that these people need these two things they need something to make them happy and the mechanic that supports that is this sort of this pun based combination system right <laughs> so you have two elements there you have the 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 we're going to make these jokes right and that's that's writing and then we're going to have these this sort of like fulfillment narrative this sort of like helping other people and none of that is like that's well before you actually write a single word or come up with a single pun for it. Yeah. Um, but that's the, that seems like the main work of that story.
0: Yeah. Oh man. Coming up with the puns was so hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cause we were all like super tired and we're like, we don't feel funny, but mm-hmm. we really want these puns in here. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and they couldn't be just like puns like, cause so many puns are just like, this word happens to rhyme with this word and wasn't conducive to the combining two things thing. So it was like not even, it was like a specific type of pun that we were trying to come up with. Mm. So yeah, but that was like the, the hardest part was coming up with like those things first and then writing the dialogue. Like the one, the last character that I wrote was one that uh, he doesn't say very much and is like really grumpy and, Like after writing all the other ones, it was, it took me like five minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though I'd like agonized over like every single one, like finally I'd gotten enough like creative momentum or something that was just like, oh yeah, like here's a joke. Oh, that's funny. Ha ha. Mm
3: -hmm. (laughs) And he
0: ended up being like kind of the best ones.
1: Cool. So what are some puns you rejected that weren't good enough?
0: Oh, um, well there was one that we were going to do like blue jeans and cause it was a lab. So there'd be like genetic material and like blue dye for dyeing specimens. Mm-hmm. Sure. And then I'm in blue jeans. Yeah. <laughs> um.
2: But you opted not to take that route? Yes. Is it because you didn't have enough time or was it too bad a pun? <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, well, we had a, we couldn't fit it into the narrative because ah. we didn't like none of the characters at, that we had made at that point like would want pants. Oh. <laughs>
1: So okay. it's that it's that kind of outpost. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I mean they want. I mean they're supposed to be all like professional, right? Ah, yeah, uh-huh. they're not wearing jeans, right? <laughs> I don't know. We <laughs> we just couldn't. Let me look at the the document. It's probably more.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh,
2: oh, you had a document?
0: Oh yeah. So Dang. we had a we had a Google Doc that we um like wrote ideas down in, and it's oh. very incomprehensible um, unless you were there. Um,
2: but that's that's smart and clever especially for a game jam keeps you organized
0: oh yeah I highly recommend having some sort of collaborative document maybe Even should... just
1: as like a place to put thoughts yeah right
0: yeah it was really helpful because like from because I ended up going home early and working from home for half of it right. um, and like it made it super easy to collaborate that way too so that's smart plus also get get version control that also <laughs> helps with collaborating <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we tried to do a Dungeons and Dragons pun. It looks like, but it didn't really work because we couldn't. Uh, oh, Aaron thought um, maybe dragon fruit plus funions like funions and dragons.
2: Uh, oh, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That
0: didn't really That's work. That's a tough sell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think we used all of the rest of them.
1: So you you have this collaborative doc and so tell me a little bit more about the workflow. Like, um, like, like what, what did it take to round trip? Some of this stuff? Yeah. Like actually getting it into the build.
0: Oh yeah. Um, so, uh, one cool thing I learned was about scriptable objects in unity. Oh yeah. So, um, Charles made these really cool, ob- like dialogue objects that, um, could be used for anybody talking so basically you uh there was a script that defined all the characters and then when you were looking at a dialogue object in the inspector in unity um there would be a little drop down with all the characters So you'd be like okay this character is talking like the player is talking to you know zelda Mm. and um then there's a like enum or whatever yeah uh, Mm -hmm array and you could tell it how many pieces of dialogue you're going to have in that dialogue so like oh they're going to talk like have five pieces of dialogue back and forth and then that would populate five different form fields for what they would say and you could say oh Zelda is going to say like oh hello and then the player says oh hi Mm -hmm. and then the next one could be so you could assign you know and you can have multiple people in the same dialogue so it could be three people and then each piece of dialogue you say, who's going to say it. So you could ah. just
1: build a scene just right in the inspector. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so that's great. exactly how cutscenes scenes in widgets Widget work. Oh. With a drop down for characters and then, yeah, how many lines and, yeah, exactly like that. Yeah.
2: That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's how it works in Fingence. I'm pretty sure Charles grabbed it from that. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> it's a game It game. came, really it, so it
0: came together very quickly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, that, that's cool. And then it just allows you to just, you know, put your writing into the thing and you don't have to touch any of the code or anything like that. It was,
0: it was super easy to do.
2: Yeah. It lets you change it too, without getting in the way of anybody else's workflow. Yeah.
0: right, Exactly. Because the dialogue system, like the code itself pulls in that object and then mm-hmm. just reads what's over there. Yeah. So, and pulls in the sprites for the characters and everything. And so like, I can, I can go in and edit things now and it won't break the game. So yeah. Yeah. It's really fun. Cool.
1: Yeah, scriptural objects are. When you start using them at first, you're like, "This is an extra abstraction layer I don't need right now." And then when you realize what they can do and where it can where it can save you time down the road, it becomes really really attractive to use it for everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you got to pull back a little bit. Yeah. But, uh It's
0: like that joke is like, glass with half half full of water, half empty of water. Mm-hmm. And it's like, optimist, it's half full. Pessimist, it's half empty. Uh, and software engineer, what if we made a glass that could hold anything?
2: <laughs> that is literally my brother. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, we don't need it to hold lava, but what if someday we did? Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, um, as a result, then like, uh, Charles and Lane were the coders in the, in the, yes. in the project. Okay. Um, they, uh, like you didn't, the way you interacted was through those scriptable objects. Yes. Okay. Cool. And like it didn't get in there. It was. I guess it was a benefit because then they could just focus on the code too.
0: Yeah. So and, and I was the one who put in all the dialogue and all the like tooltips for the for the uh, like I I placed all like like Lul did for your game placed all the stuff. Cool. So yeah, it was really fun. Yeah. Um, highly recommend trying out writing sometime if you have never done it before. It's very like it makes you see that side way better yeah i guess this isn't really advice for people it's just my experience but
1: <laughs> uh, do <laughs> what? it. <is> <laughs> <laughs> well i mean if uh if it's if you're new to it um and you're not new to writing no by any stretch but if but if that's something you want to try and you haven't found a way to try it game jam's a good place yeah mm-hmm. right Very true. um because you can what well, you can get help and you can really just fill it with puns. Yeah. <laughs> and
0: <laughs> make a ridiculous story about uh, about the uh, polar explorers.
1: Yeah. So uh tell me a little just before we end this topic, tell me a little bit about the game itself like it's uh it's sort of it's uh, like RPG style looking like um
0: Oh, so um oh, kinda we had uh, Phil who does 3D modeling mm-hmm. and he's so good at it. Uh, and he made the 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 map the map <laughs> and it was so cool like they had open like doors that opened and closed yeah. mm-hmm. and like a little stairway and when you walked down the stairway the upper level like flew out of the scene and oh. when you walked back oh, up the stairs the it came back down cool. It cool so cool yeah um and so he did the, the environment stuff we had another artist Jideev mm-hmm. who did uh he did drew all of the like items you pick up mm-hmm. and so we had uh 3D space, but all the stuff that was in it was 2D. Oh, cool. So your character walked around like isometrically 2D and never like turned around. Ah, (laughs) Oh, that's cool. So, Uh,
1: what's the name of it so people can find it on the site?
0: Oh, it is One Polar Night. And the build that's up there right now, uh, as of Saturday, Uh (laughs) um, is a little bit broken, uh, I think, still. Um, So you can pick up items. And you can combine items, but the other items that you combine to make the new item don't go away. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) It was so cool because at the end of the jam, like, like the main game mechanic of combining items was, like, not in the game yet. And it was, like, five minutes left. And so Lane and Charles were, like... It's like pair programming on the computer like oh. with the clock like counting down oh my and, God. and there's a whole ton of us like just like an audience started forming around them and so like yeah. oh my gosh oh my gosh okay ah. decode this oh no that's not working okay put a breakpoint there okay and run no it's still <laughs> Okay. <go back." laughs> it's
2: like y'all read nasa or something yeah
0: it's like this was mission control <laughs> yeah wow that's cool <laughs> yeah so but we're gonna work on it a little bit this weekend um well they are I'm, I'm doing other stuff but uh, I'm working from home a little bit fixing some of the dialogue mistakes because I'm not a very good speller and scriptable objects <laughs> don't spell ter- yeah. So, <laughs> but, um, but yeah go check it out it's called One Polar Night
2: cool cool
1: all right we'll move on to my topic uh my topic is copyright in the public domain uh less exciting i guess but uh really timely uh because if you
0: write a game and you want other people to be (laughs) (laughs) you want other people to be able to remix it Mm -hmm. and use it or even just like make their own version of it you might want to put it in the public domain or have a like creative commons thing okay go okay
1: Uh, this year, for the first time in 20 years, uh, th- something entered the public
2: domain. Oh, yay! Um, Wait, what thing? Uh, any,
1: all works, yeah. uh, creative works that registered in um, uh, 1922. Oh, wow. 23. 23, that's right. Um, the ah. last time anything entered the public domain was stuff from 1922, uh-huh. and that happened in 1998. Oh, my goodness. So the way this thing now, we're all, you you guys are younger than me, but I'm even too young to remember this as a tradition. Mm. But um, it used to be every year there would be like a celebration of like the things entering the public domain this year. Oh. And for the last twenty years, that's not happened. Yeah, and the reason is is because copyright uh, um, Disney is evil. Were, well, we'll get there. <laughs> uh, uh, copyright protections were extended mm-hmm. in 1998. Uh, it was a law that just did just that. Did no other? No, that was all it did. Oh, um, from 75 to 95 years. Yeah, and so it just padded on twenty years to pre-existing works. Uh-huh. And so now that it's been, now that we've gone through those twenty years. Uh, things are starting to enter the public domain again. So next year, it'll be uh, uh, 1924 and 5 and so on. Cool. Um, Until a few years from now, uh, and this is where a lot of the the headlines about this is coming, the first Mickey Mouse cartoon will enter the public domain. Steamboat. Steamboat Steamboat. Willie, that's right. And uh, so um, uh, Disney was a huge proponent of extending copyright uh, protections throughout the century Uh, Uh, because a little history here, um, uh, copyright protection originally uh, at the founding of this country uh, was 28 years. So uh, very frequently you would outlive the protection on your works right mm-hmm. um and uh in the 20th century by the middle of the 20th century that had doubled they, um uh, i don't have the details on that specifically but we can link we'll link a bunch of resources on this you can look up the details yeah. but it was it became uh 56 years um and the 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 uh, the reason why it was doubled then i think probably was that there was um the the purpose of copyright had changed a little bit and uh copyright protections had become more central to the economy oh. um because uh basically in in the olden days, everything was like an epic poem, right? Like you, sure. sh- it was all uh, you sh- you shared uh, art and works, and also something like a painting was not easily copyable. Yeah. So uh, the the idea of a copyright, uh, it, it didn't make a lot of sense until you had mass distribution of creative works. Yeah. And um, a copyright protection uh, legally, uh, it's a, it's an art, it's a total artifice, right? it's, it's something in, invented by governments, mm-hmm. and the reason it exists is very similar to patent protection. So if people are familiar with patent law, at least a little bit, um, patents are public, right? I, I make an invention, and I, I tell the whole world exactly how it works. Right. And now that's dangerous, right? Because then they can they can make it themselves. Yeah. But the reason I do that is because in exchange for revealing my secrets... I get legal protection for them. I can sure. exclusively exploit them. Yeah. And that's a huge part of, of of patent law. But it's a the 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 what's great about it is that when patents expire, then they become available to everyone to use. Whereas if I if I were to invent something and then sell it for a couple of years, then my business goes I go out of business and then I die and all of my equipment gets you know washed away to sea or sure, whatever. And yeah. then, <laughs> then my knowledge is lost to history. Yeah. And so that is one of the reasons why patent law exists. Now copyright is different because I mean, it's a similar structure, but like when you make something, the point is to get it out there, right? right. Yeah. So, um, but it, 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 they are related in that same way in that in exchange for um, for you uh, distributing it widely, uh, basically uh, for taking that risk, mm-hmm. you get legal protection. Yeah. And that was, you know, 20 odd years, 50 odd years. And it's just been inching up as copyright protection became more and more important to the livelihood of a lot of these companies sure like i'm I, you know and, and I, I think the disney is evil is a really like a handy narrative and mostly true but imagine if you are you know um do, making a work that is uh that is a series right you're not making yeah. new characters every year and this is just up to you right there's no right or wrong way to do it yeah. but if there were no copyright protections that were long enough to span your career for mm-hmm. example mm-hmm. then you would be forced to pivot At a time when it was maybe inconvenient for you, sure, because all of a sudden the works you had would be less exploitable. Yeah, and so there's a real—it's a lot of debate as to what the because it's a one-size-fits-all solution, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, the the arguments that have been that interested up over time were very much—they made a lot of sense to a lot of people. It wasn't—it wasn't a a huge power grab exactly. Mm -hmm. That said, the law from 1998 total power grab. Like yeah. seven, it was at that point it was 75 years. Oh Now yeah. there's a difference between copyright protections for an author, an individual author, and for a company that owns a copyrighted work because the, lo- the law treats them as the same in a sense um, like the, the ownership like you'll see at the end of a movie, it says for the purposes of copyright, this work was created by Sony or. Or Disney or whatever, and now that's silly because a company can't create a make a do a creative thing, Mm. Um, but for legal purposes they own the copyright, right? So that's that's what what all that like legal sort of uh, um, mumbo jumbo is about. Um, So in terms of how they're protected uh, uh, in courts, it's the same, but the the law does distinguish between an author and a and a a rights holder in in such that uh, an author gets uh, copyright protection for their lifetime plus a certain amount of time. Mm. So currently if you make something and you just exploit it on your own, you own the copyright, you have some company distributed or whatever, but it's your copyright. You have it for your life. Yeah. Right. It doesn't expire in your lifetime. Plus a certain number of years. So your descendants can continue to ex- exploit it for a certain amount of time. Yeah. The amount of time that is, is certainly like uh, um, what is the correct time is debatable. Now, if you're just a company and you own something, companies don't, they don't, they don't get buried in the cemetery. So um, th- they, those copyrights do expire. And, um, they expire uh, is, uh, currently ninety five years after they're created. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that difference for authors, uh, I'm kind of mixing. I'm, I'm flipping around in the timeline here, but in 1976, uh, the copyright law was changed. So okay. before that time, copyright protection was just those fifty six years um, for everybody for all things. Uh, after that, it was changed. It was split so that you'd have the authors and companies would do it differently. Right. Um, for the most part, I don't think there's a, a lot of Backlash against the idea that a copyright should live with a, with an author for that author's lifetime. Yeah. the plus so many years, I think, is a lot, there's a lot of debate about. Okay, I think there's a fair bait, debate to be had about whether a copyright should uh, include the, the life of an author. I, I'm not, I, I could easily fall on either side of those, you know, depending. But I think it's a fair argument to have. Not a lot of people are having that argument. Yeah, the argument people are definitely having though is how long a company should be able to sure. exploit yeah. a piece of work that's like a million years old. Right, and Disney is of course the you know, main focus point of this yeah. because they are about the only company from the 1920s in, in the creative space that still has going concerns with those same creative works. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very, it's an unusual situation, yeah. but as a result of their desire to protect their works, because they didn't want a bunch of other people distributing Mickey Mouse cartoons. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe they should have been able to, but you could understand why they wouldn't want that. Right. Um, but as a result, tons of works, the, uh, from the early century have been like denied uh from the public domain, and not only is that something where people can't republish it or can't make derivative works, but it also limits access to it mm-hmm. because public domain it doesn't just mean that it's free to exploit it also means it's free to to own right you don't have to you don't have to pay for a copy yeah <laughs> right if you can get your hands on it it's yours yeah, and so uh, that has uh, a lot of things, especially music in the early part of the 20th century, a lot of that stuff is just sort of like Being held by like Warner Brothers or other you know rights holders, Mm -hmm. Um, and and they're not being exploited because they don't no one would buy them right so it they but in the public domain they would there'd be more interest and so it's it's been a bit of a tragedy uh, in that sense.
2: Um, So you keep using the term exploited. Yes, I'm curious why you're saying exploited instead of like used or. I mean, I'm just using it in a technical term. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I know, I know. It's not like a negative thing. Right. It sounds like a positive thing every time you say it, which is great. But I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> so the, the technical term is just like to use a product. Well, and uh, exploiting it, like,
1: I mean, I'm just, there's not like a definitive, I'm just sure. using that phrase because yeah. it, if I'm exploiting my work, it means I'm using, usually, usually means I'm selling it. I'm, I'm gaining from it, from its use. Okay. Not just using it. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm getting something in return yeah. for it, okay. right? Okay. That's usually what that means. Cool. Cool. Um, generally, it just means putting it for sale. Yeah. For okay. the most part, that's cool. Um, but it also means like licensing, or it means if you own the copyright, that means you can prevent other people from copying it, including yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. If you have the copyright to a work, you can keep it from the world. Yeah. Right. It's that's your choice, and so um, without the copyright, other people could do it. So it's copyright is as much about you exploiting a work. As it is about preventing others from exploiting the work, okay. and it's basically because you are the artist, you own it, you get to decide. Yeah. and that's that's an important concept, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's an important concept to the development of creative arts in a way that's different from culturally what it was before the the, the notion of copyright. And so those protections are important, and certainly, ga- I mean, um, you know, this is just a general interest topic, but we'll, we'll tie it into games uh, a little bit later. But mm-hmm. the the sort of the preview of that is that you know um game developers are some of the m- most at risk of their works being stolen and and exploited by others because copyright protections are very weak when it comes to things like game mechanics and stuff like yeah. that um so we'll get into that as well
0: they were i was reading on the on the public domain day website or whatever mm-hmm. how like stuff from the 90s could have been like published or someone could have taken up the mantle of all these of all these things that have just been Left, like no one's working on them.
1: Yeah, it's called um, orphaned. The orphaned, Orphan, That's orphaned business. works, mm. and so a lot of that is is uh, things that yeah they could be the source of of a remixed work or a derivative work or or inspiration or something. But not only can they not be accessed and exploited by future artists, a lot of times they're just hard to find. Sure, and that becomes very difficult. It also means the legacies of certain artists who are not uh, who are not commercially popular in this day become lost because it's harder for like libraries to stock them. Yeah. Um, not just, not because it's actually libraries can stock anything, but um, it's, there are physically fewer copies right. like because, because of that. So it's a, it's a, these all have all these things of add on effects. Um, and a lot of, in gaming people are familiar with the term abandoned where, mm-hmm. right? Uh, um, software that the, a creator has stopped working on or stopped selling. And you know, that's a relatively new concept in the, in the, in the timeframes we're talking about. Um, but a lot of it has a lot of the same things. People will distribute abandonedware on torrent sites uh, without any sort of ethical qualms because they're not they, they feel they're not hurting anybody. Yeah. And that's generally true. But at the same time, what if, you know, who's to say if someone didn't abandon it on purpose, right? right? And so it becomes very kind of tricky. But a lot of these orphaned works, it's pretty unambiguous. It's like there's nobody there to protect them. They're owned by some conglomerate media corporation or they're owned by a family that just has no interest. In doing anything with it, mm-hmm. but but also wouldn't necessarily object to other people doing it, but like isn't going to volunteer it freely. Yeah. Um, so it becomes very tricky, and these are all very case by case. In a lot of these situations, there are there are a couple of famous things that just entered the do- public domain on accident, mm. which is sort of interesting. Um, and Rand, everybody's favorite terrible author, uh. <laughs> uh, wrote a novella called Anthem, and oh. I read this in high school, and it's it's a very short concept. It's very it's, a, it's, it's amazing how, how short it is, considering it's an Ayn Rand work. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, it was developed, um, it, it was published, I believe, as a serial in a magazine. I don't remember the exact history of it, but through, like, they just forgot to file for copyright extension, which is a thing you used to have to do. And um, so it was just, uh, it just entered the public domain before these protections were enacted. And so a lot of times, the things about the, um, uh, when, when the copyrights were extended it didn't put anything didn't take anything out of the public domain it just extended retroactively things that were not yet in the public domain ah. um, so things that were already in the public domain either through, through that normal process or by accident stayed there mm. and so that's a really famous example and so there are lots of um, so you can just get a copy anyone can publish the book um, it's sort of interesting because, um, particularly, Enrand, Rand, who is a, like an ardent libertarian, <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of a fun. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but there's a couple of examples of things that you'll find, like, like certain songs that just forgot to to to, to re-enter uh, uh, their extensions and stuff like that. Um, very recently, uh, the song "Happy Birthday." Oh um, yeah, uh, you, you never heard it on TV, you know, because yeah. it was always uh, "He's a jolly good fellow." The only reason we know he's a jolly good fellow. Is, as, is because that's what people sang on television instead of happy birthday uh, because happy birthday was, uh, had, there's a, there was a copyright claim on it. Um, and, uh, that was actually thrown out in court recently. Mm. Um, and so as, as recently as this year, uh, there are TV shows now singing happy birthday to, to their, their characters. <laughs> <laughs> finally, after all this time. we can finally um, have a birthday. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I think that would have gone into public domain in a couple years anyway. Yeah. But, oh. um, uh, I, I don't know. But anyways, um, so, like, there's a lot of these fun examples of different things. Yeah. But um, what's uh, interesting is like what you can do with public domain works. So this is a really interesting um, element where you're like, oh, when when Mickey Mouse becomes public domain, then suddenly everyone can just make Mickey Mouse stuff and mm-hmm. whatever, do, do whatever they want. That's not actually true. Um, the the what goes into public domain will be Steamboat Willie. Yeah. And so uh, Disney will certainly be interested in keeping an eye on whoever tries to exploit the public domain status of those characters and those elements. Sure. Um, Steamboat Willie itself, you can have a copy and publish it. You can, you can, I don't know, you could sell it, but who would buy it? Cause yeah. it's free. Um, th- that actual work is available. The characters, the concepts, like what actually is a, a work yeah. is actually kind of fraught in a sense. Oh. Um, so for example, Mickey Mouse, like the design of the character from Steamboat Willie is actually very different from the modern, uh, design of Mickey Mouse. Sure, yeah. So what's going to happen? This is definitely going to happen. Is when that character, because the character will become public domain along with the first uh, 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 thing. Okay, there will be uh, lots of people licensing merchandise with Mickey Mouse. Oh yeah, and it will be legal. Mm-hmm. But Disney will be checking every one of them for like the exact coloring. The does they have gloves or not? Like all these things, mm. and getting ready to sue those who who go outside and probably uh, you know every edge case as well. And they're within every right to do that because they do own a lot of, because a lot of those creative, those that work was yeah. done a decade later. Oh. Right. And it's not public domain. Yeah. And like, the question is, is like, where's the line exactly? Mm-hmm. Right. Like what is a creative decision? And what isn't exactly? Steamboat Willie is a black and white cartoon. Yeah. So what color is our Mickey shorts? Oh. Like, is that, yeah. the, is that in the public domain? Like, because presumably in that time, they, they, you know, there was a creative decision. Like, if it was ever in color, or if we ever paint a, a mural or something, this is the color it will be. Mm-hmm. But is that part of the the work that becomes public domain or not? Um, it's yeah. it's these are not easy questions to answer. Yeah. Um, additionally, trademark is a very interesting component. So um, you can distribute Steamboat Willie once this this comes in public domain in a few years. Um, you can make your own Mickey Mouse cartoons, mm-hmm. uh, even name the character Mickey Mouse, but. You cannot like use that three-headed logo, uh, for, oh, you know, for sure. that, that three-circled logo yeah. for your thing because that symbol is actually a trademark of Disney. And trademarks don't expire. They're different from copyright. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, when they're getting into working creatively, they sort of mix these concepts up. I know so, I do. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, copyright is just a, a creative expression, a piece of work, right? Sure. And you don't have to register this anywhere. As soon as you create a piece of work, even if you don't show it to anybody in the universe, you have legal protections on it, right? Okay. Enforcing it's another matter. It's why you generally try to register your works with the Copyright Office. Yeah. A trademark is something else. You do have to apply for a trademark for the various governments in, in, in which you'd like to exploit that trademark. And then the, when the trademark's granted to you, it actually prevents other people from having similar trademarks or confusing marks. It's, oh. it's different. It is a piece of creative work in a sense, but it's not protected as a creative work. It's protected as a piece of trade, as, um, as, as your position in the marketplace. Okay. And so if somebody tries to sell Mickey, Mar- Mickey Mouse cartoons, um, uh, Disney's going to say, well, we have Mickey Mouse TM. Like, sorry, yeah. you can't, you can call them something else and you can use the character. It, it would, I'm sure there'll probably be lots of lawsuits, but like, um, but can you say a Mickey Mouse cartoon? I mean, technically, it is, right? Right. But can you you can't can you trade on the name Mickey Mouse? Yeah. It's it's kind of unknown. These are like new questions, in a sense, oh. because um, the the interest of it, and, and when things enter the public domain, they sort of enter it whole cloth. Like this is the the first, uh, um, you know, it's it's becoming the idea, of like the. The era of marketing, as well as creative works, being mixed together. Yeah, it's really, really fascinating. Yeah. Um, now the question is: is why? Maybe what happens in a couple of years when when Steamboat Willie's on the on the chopping block mm-hmm. is Disney just going to go back to Congress and say, "I, I think it would be 150 years seems fair." <laughs> um, actually, no. Uh, there's no indication that's going to happen. Okay. Partly because there's a lot more um, uh, anti. Uh, corporate uh, uh, um, uh, uh, sentiment than there was in 1998. Sure, yeah. Um, In 2012, there was a huge movement to stop SOPA. Does everyone remember that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, That was a a law that was intended to um, allow copyright holders to enforce their works more aggressively on the internet. Right. Um, There was a huge blackout of a bunch of different websites on a certain day to protest the the potential ramifications. That got defeated. Um, There's also sort of the pro-net neutrality uh, movements. Basically, the public is more educated on what what's at stake mm-hmm. also 95 years is a really long time. And I think even Disney would have a hard time arguing any good faith arguments that it should be longer than that. Yeah. The fact that they went from 75 to 95 is an incredible, like an, they, an incredible get. Yeah. But I, I feel like I'm not sure how much lobbying could actually convince any even like vulnerable Senator to be, to like actually fall in line with that. And and I, I imagine Disney is probably not even that interested in it either. Yeah. Um. You know they're not. I mean maybe they have like you know their own uh, uh, motives that, to protect their company at all costs. Mm. But like I, I think you have to be
2: pretty nefarious to like have a straight face uh, 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 to a certain point. Yeah. Right? It's it's much less of a popular idea. Or yeah, you're right. I, I, the way you said it, like people are more educated about it, so it is a very unpopular idea. Like you see how uh, people react to Nintendo, um, uh, you know, taking down remakes or yeah. whatever and stuff and i'm sure disney's looking at that and going oh maybe we shouldn't do something about this cuz right. it'll look really bad yeah and,
1: and the truth is is disney's going to be protected by trademark yeah. laws and their bajillions of dollars right. so like they're
0: not and everything they're buying like they own everything now yeah,
1: the so. <laughs> they're a diversified <laughs> company at this point yeah. monopoly. it's so funny because you know i watched Warner to other cartoons like uh, Bugs Bunny, but I've mm. like seen maybe two Mickey Mouse cartoons. It's yeah, so right? strange <laughs> it's how like it, it it's this sort of different echelon of like Disney's identity. Yeah, they are a very strange and singular company in American culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but interestingly, a lot of times, uh, especially when we talk about big business when we're very critical of that, we we feel that is a very uniquely American problem, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Mostly because the biggest businesses in the world are American. um, And they tend to be the biggest problems. (laughs) But um, in fact, a lot of the good faith arguments, uh, if you can call them that, for the 1998 extension, was that in the European Union, uh, extensions were already longer. Oh, And so it was actually, that was one of the reasons why it was a little harder to uh, mount an opposition, is because... um, um, like uh, parity amongst all the, the nations of the world is very important for, for companies that distribute their works across, around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, software developers get their works uh, uh, um, you know, pirated all the time in China, for example. Yeah. And so you see lots of companies uh, trying to uh, lobby uh, the American government and the Chinese government to crack down on these things. And a lot of that is to go to um, uh, multinational organizations like the World Trade Organization or the UN mm-hmm. and say, like, let's have a standard we all agree on so that we can enforce these similarly. And of course, the only people who have the ability to sort of make those, uh, get those audiences, are the ones who are mostly in favor of increasing those, those limits. Sure. Um, but there is something to be said about having standards that are, that are the same around the world. Otherwise, especially with the, the smaller world we live in, your copyright expires in, uh, you know, in Belgium, well, then those things can be distributed to Americans. Oh, right. Yeah. And so, if you know, uh, you are, you as a copyright holder are not just interested in the protections in your locality, but around the world. Mm. And it's increasingly so. Um, uh, yeah. It's maybe less a day to day concern for, uh, you know, indie developers and indie filmmakers and so on, sure. but it's a real thing. Yeah. And so, you kind of have to see, like, oh, you can, you understand why a lot of these companies are so protective of it, of, of it because it can be a big. And you know that's what that's where they make their money. Like mm-hmm. that's why they're huge companies, and yeah. so they, they are protecting what makes them the size they are. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that twenty year extension is just egregious. And the thing is, it's never going back, mm-hmm. right? Like people who celebrated the 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 uh, the appearance of new works in the public domain this year, and it, but nothing's changed. Right, the law, didn't, the law didn't revert or anything. It's yeah. Sometimes it's like, oh, things are better now. Like it, the 20 year ban expired. That's not what happened. Yeah. Still 95 years. It's going to be that way forever. I mean, as far as I know, there's going to be a there has to be a huge lobbying effort to roll those back. And I think that it'd be hard to under to to imagine the the interest that people would have in promoting that because there's even amongst uh, pro uh, uh, Creative Commons groups, pro net, net neutrality groups, mm-hmm. it it kind of doesn't feel like a real good use of their time. But it's kind of sad. I wish there was a constituency for rolling back those protections to like 55 years, which is still pretty long, right? Yeah. Um, But there probably is never going to be. And particularly because a lot of of times, uh, like I said, those things got extended in America because they were already that way in Europe. And so um, I feel like that's never going to happen again. So we're kind of, but it is good every year that tradition's coming back. Every yeah. year there'll be new things in the public domain. Yeah. And um, so um, I did want to talk about one example of something I used in a work of mine. Oh! And then we can talk a little bit about how, you know, maybe brainstorm some ideas of how game developers can, can sort of exploit some of these things. Yeah. But um, there's an Irving Berlin song called All By Myself, which uh, was uh, published in 1921, and so it's been in the public domain for 22 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, I use that in a film of mine. Ooh. And I, was, I did a lot of research to see like, oh, I'd love to be able to use this um, as a sequence in a film I made where uh, a character is sort of daydreaming. And then the, the people around her in her daydream, this, it's a, like a little musical moment. Mm-hmm. It, and it was really fun to do. But I was like, oh, it'd be really fun to have like, everybody lip sync to, re- to a recording, have a scratchy record sound, and have that be part of the experience. Yeah. But as I was researching this, a lot of the recordings of this song were made in 1925, oh. and so the recordings are not public domain. But the yeah. song itself, the sheet music, was published in 1921. Okay, and the song didn't become more popularly recorded until a little bit later. In fact, there were not even a lot of recordings in those days. Um, and so um, the the what I so had that extension not been uh, done in 1998, I would I would have been able to to do that originally. Uh, um, what I did instead is I recorded a new version of it. I, the the actor who would who would be s- singing the song, I had them record. The vocals, I got got some. You know, I I did an original version of the song. Cool, Um, and that was really fun to do. But it changed the character of the work I was making. Oh yeah. And I've always thought about that, like that that the sort of world we live in, and those little those elements, and how far-reaching those those the consequences of that stuff can be. Yeah. And so I think a lot of times uh, one of the diversifiers for Global Game Jam was to use a newly. Uh, a, a, a piece of work that was newly placed in the public domain, and so there 's definitely a lot of interest among game devi- d- uh, designers uh, and developers to do something with this now that it, now that we 've got it again mm-hmm. now that there are new things it 's also uh, renewing interest in older works that have been in the public domain
2: for yeah, a long time. I kind of hope they do that every year because like that would be really cool, just so people see that is an option and yeah. they, they think of it as an option
1: yeah, and uh, it 's not just about like taking a piece of work and putting it in your own work it 's about coming up with derivative works and about. And taking elements and characters and, and, and or doing sequels. Yeah. Right? Anybody on the planet can write a Sherlock Holmes novel. You can do it, it's allowed. All your fanfics are true. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. And th- that's a really good example because a lot of people don't realize that because there are very famous Sherlock Holmes adaptations. Yeah. And so a lot of people think, like, oh, they got the rights from the, the, the Conan Doyle estate or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, and there is, they actually, uh, the, the, the Doyle estate does have an interest in the works that come out, but they don't get paid for them because yeah. that is public domain works. Right. And so you go ahead and make your Sherlock Holmes game. Yeah. Like, why not? You cool. know, uh, reinvent Sherlock Holmes any way you like. Yeah. Um, and of course, Disney did it with The Great Mouse Detective and oh, a, yeah. a, lot of their, a lot of their films are adaptations of public domain works. Yeah. I- ironically. Yeah,
0: they are. <laughs> That's yep, yep. Hmm. <laughs> hmm, Disney. Yeah, I'm humming at you. Yep,
2: yep. <laughs> there's this. There's this show that I used to watch when I was a kid called Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd century. Yes. Do oh you my know God. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Sherlock
0: Holmes in the 22nd century. century. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
2: that song is under copyright. Thank
0: you. Hey, we did under 30 seconds. <laughs>
1: <laughs> ah, see, that's not. That, that's a very common notion of what fair use means oh we can talk about that in a future episode (laughs) okay (laughs) um but no you're you're actually fine for other reasons than it was less than 30 seconds
0: (laughs) (laughs) free advertising yeah Yeah. right watson is a robot it's great
1: yeah (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of wonderful (laughs) yeah but like that's the kind of works the creative work that you can do when when something's in the public domain yeah and it's not just about like kickstarting your innovation because like I mean, as an artist, I could kind of just rather come up with my own thing. Sure, but there's something about taking something that people know and give it another twist, give it a spin. Yeah, because then you can leverage people's familiarity. You can you can uh, confound their expectations. You can make comments on uh, what those things were in the time they were contemporaneous, yeah. but also adapting them to your own time and maybe like confronting those differences. It, it, it's a type of creativity that is. Uh, just not as common because it's not as accessible yeah. as it maybe used to be. And the things even now that we're able to do with that are so far removed from our culture mm-hmm. that it becomes harder to find those connections other than sort of superficially. Yeah. Right?
2: Yeah, and I, I think there's a parallel between that and games in that like you'll take a an like an old game like an old platformer, Mario, for yeah. example, and like you, tw- you can build your own platformer that is like a twist on Mario's genre. Like mm-hmm. plenty of games have done the thing where like you know Mario can jump on Goombas in this game. If Mario jumps on Goomba, you can see the whole story of like that Goomba's family or something, and <laughs> what it means when that Goomba dies and all that stuff. They've yeah. done that kind of things. Like you can do that for past works and experiences, in, in that way.
1: And a lot of the reasons you can do that in video games mm-hmm. is because those mechanics are not protected, right? Right. And the the derivative works you do are are protected by fair use for different reasons, right? Because they're sort of parody or, or because they're commenting on. Yeah. Um. But the mecha- like. Uh, Nintendo, in fact, patents are uh, software patents are a very hotly debated issue, right? Like Nintendo could have tried to get a patent on jumping on an enemy to kill it, yeah, right? Like that's something they could have done, um, but uh, the enforceability of that is, you know, up well, in the air.
0: Well, that's like what is it? The thing where you play games during a load screen, like oh, not yeah, that? Yeah, bad bad many it? games
2: in a loading screen, right? Or you couldn't until recently, I think. Yeah, I think that was thrown out. Yeah, um, but that
1: that did it did change some people's behaviors and. Yeah, it, it come with other solutions to to those sorts of things. Now, of course, that's that seems like a tragedy, but also think about um, uh, Donut County. Yeah, and yeah. Donut County was, was straight up ripped off uh, by one of those uh, uh, like high volume mobile d- uh, developers, right? And they made a ton of money. Yeah, uh, Threes um, was uh, ripped off by twenty forty eight, or the yeah. other way around. I honestly don't remember. I think it was Threes. <laughs> Yeah, it was ripped off. <laughs> and and those companies they they're, they they exploit the creative works of others, yeah. and then they have a, maybe a better marketing sense, and then they they lay leverage and they exploit that yeah. for for the maximum gain, which then takes market away from that. Now, in in light of those, who's to say we shouldn't have software patents, mm. right? But at the same time, software patents have been very damaging in other, in other cases. They prevent innovation in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, it, there's a very famous, and I'll put this in the show notes as well, but the, um, the Oracle versus Google trial over Android um, and the Java runtime, it's this epic notion of, of, of where Oracle, which bought Sun Microsystems, didn't even create Java themselves, mm-hmm. um, but they had the rights to the Java uh, runtime and they accused Google of using a lot of their private APIs when they were developing the 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 runtime for Android, which yeah. was which used a lot of the similar thing, the Java as a language is open source, but the runtime was closed source, and so um, it, there's this complete crazy thing. And the truth is, is Google kind of did it, like it kind of did, mm-hmm. but the truth, but like the law kind of came down on their side. Like even if they did, it didn't cause real damage, and it, the 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 those software patents were unenforceable. Right now. That's one side where it sort of seems like, well, Oracle was just out to stop a competitor and prevent innovation in the industry. Yeah. But sometimes it's uh, the case where um, those having those patents could protect people from actually being have their work stolen. Yeah. And so it, it's hard to like. That's why case law is really important in these things. Is so you can have like established sort of standards and flexibilities and stuff like that. Right. Um. But it's a really hard question to answer. As a creative person, you have to say like, oh, as a creative consumer. Like, I want access to whatever. I, want, uh, I don't want things like DRM. Yeah. I, don't want, I don't want to have uh, creators being penalized. I don't want them to have to license the thing they're using, which costs me more money when I want to buy it from them. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't want those things, right? You yeah. don't, and you don't want to, people limit, limited in their creativity to create derivative works or create extra things. Yeah. And then as a creator, you're like, I don't want people to create derivative works of my characters because then that will dilute the the impact of my character in the creative right. marketplace, yeah, and so it's not there's no one answer.
2: I think that right? it's important to like ask the question. I don't, I, yeah, it kind of. I think that a lot of with, with this with this law, a lot of it was like delaying the question, and now mm-hmm. we're finally getting to the point where we can start asking the questions again. Yeah. and I think that's good. Um, so we just got to start asking that question a lot more. Yeah. frequently.
0: My my thing is that a lot of times the law helps the big companies, but doesn't help the little creators. Who mm-hmm. don't have enough money to like, I was follow a lot of artists on Twitter and a lot of times they're pin, like they make artists pins or whatever. And their mm-hmm. pin designs get stolen by big companies that then put them on. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, like, uh, obviously the same thing, just like, Oh, they moved a line here. So it's totally different, <laughs> but not. Yeah. And like, they have heart, like it takes them so much effort to, to go after those claims where, Where, like, uh, a big company can just be like, hey, company, shut down all these posts or whatever, shut down all these things. And, like, it's they have enough resources to do that. And so,
1: those those are cases of clear copyright infringement. Like, there's no wiggle room there, like software patent stuff. Like, those, they stole it. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do? But it's,
0: but it, but sometimes the artist is has to let it go because, like, they would be take way too much of their time and effort to it would cost them more money to get their money back than it would to... A
1: hundred percent of the time it would cost them way like, too much money. Yeah. Like, that is, it is, yeah, we don't, you can't call the cops on someone. Right. You have to sue. Mm-hmm. Right? This is, these are civil matters. Um, in fact, and that's the question is like, should the, a lot, what, is, what rises to criminal copyright inf- infringement, right? Um, the reason that the, the, you see the FBI warning in front of all those uh, Burnham movies yeah. is actually just a scare tactic by the <laughs> oh. NBA. Right? It's technically true. Yeah. Right? But it's like it's an effort to give the force of government to a lot of these things, which are civil matters. Sure. Um, and it, you know, it, it, like they're not like scams, but they're definitely presented in a way to give you an impression of things that are, yeah. So like the the leverage those companies have is so much greater mm-hmm. than any individual artist. You know? Yeah. Wow. So it's like a bummer, guys.
0: Oh <laughs> <Aww. laughs>
1: well. But you know it's it's an, it's important to consider, and that's why yeah. that's why I'm sort of using this public domain as an entry point into this idea. Yeah, is to, to think about when you create your own creative things, like what. What freedoms are granted to you to take the inspirations from the world and not just because they exist or because artists post things on, on Twitter that inspire you, but because of the legal protections that people have to be able to distribute and share and the legal protections you have to create derivative works of a certain type. Mm -hmm. And what are you prevented from doing and how does that hurt you as an artist? But then also as an artist yourself, how can you be protected and how can you also let go and, and, and allow your works to be Created. Like it's, it's cultural and ethical, uh, yeah. almost more than legal in a lot of these ways. And yeah. the legal frameworks we do attempt to define it, and they really are an expression of what we believe is a culture in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when people have very ideological, like, this is the way it should be, it, it's always like, well, there's always somebody on the other side of that. And the question is, a lot of times, like, Martha, you're saying, like, all these small, like, maybe there should be, like, the DCMA, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, it allows people to, to issue takedown requests. And actually it allows anyone to issue take them requests. It's okay. actually fairly liberal in who has access to it. But the people who do it are like, you know, 20th Century Fox. Right. Like, those yeah. are the people who do it. And then and then you on YouTube you get one strike uh, with no arbitration if if Fox says you violated their thing. Yeah. Like famously, someone posted a, 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 a clip of a video game to YouTube, and then Fox took that clip and put it in an episode of Family Guy. Oh. And then the the original clip got taken down oh because, it, because it was a content match with their automated systems. Oh. And so, wow. but who owned the copyright to that? Because the person who posted it didn't make that game. Yeah. They just posted that clip. And so, what what is their protection as a creative artist for creating a, a, a screenshot or, or, or a, a video clip of a game that right. is their performance in the game? Like, the law isn't able to handle a lot of these things. And then the automated systems we have tend to really favor the people who have the enforcement to do it. The DCMA yeah. is something I could really go on about how terrible it really is yeah. and how it, it, doesn't give, uh, it doesn't give people the, um, the benefit of the doubt in a lot of yeah. cases. Um, but yeah, but no, think about that. I yeah. think when you create your own works and like, I mean, I'm making Metro Nexus which is a spiritual successor to a game that is less than 95 years old mm-hmm. and I can do that because there are no protections on the, the mechanics that I'm using. Right. And so that's something that's definitely benefited me. Yeah. Um, but I also mean, at the same time you have to wonder like, well, you, yeah, but yeah. I stay away from from actual protected um, uh, artwork. And I do that not just as a way to avoid getting into trouble, Mm -hmm. but also to keep me working on my own things. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, And so you, it it can be inspiring to be limited in some ways. True. So lots of stuff, guys.
2: Yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I really enjoyed that talk. (laughs) oh one
1: piece of trivia yes in metro nexus there's going to be a song in the final uh level Uh that is actually from that video game and i can do that because that song is in the public domain (laughs) 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 which they did because they didn't have any money to hire a composer (laughs) right (laughs) so
0: that's cool yeah
1: (laughs) It's, uh, it's really, really wonky, but it's super interesting. And if you, you, know, if you like these wonky topics, you'll and it, it can really inspire you. Yeah,
2: yeah, for sure. That's awesome. That's our show. If you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app, and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or are nice like us. We really do need to know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends too. We also want to hear directly from you, so follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club, and email us at contact at nicegames.club. Lastly, you can find out more about the show and your nice hosts, as well as get all of the links and show notes from this and other episodes at NiceGames.Club. So until we start again, remember to play nice
0: and make nice.